Well, this morning we would normally be going through our Roman series, but we're pausing our, our time where we would open up uh, the Bible and, and look through our next part of Romans. And we're going to be looking this morning at Isaiah 61, as Phil, Phil has prepared a talk for us this morning as we pause that Roman series for the time being. So if you are at home and you would like to, to read along, we're going to read from Isaiah chapter 61 uh, this morning. Isaiah chapter 61, if you want to get your Bibles open in front of you, if you have them, and we'll read our passage that Phil will be coming and sharing with us in just a few moments. Isaiah chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of acid, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards, and you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations, and in their riches you will boast. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land. And everlasting joy will be yours. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people. I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I greatly, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels, for as the soil makes the young plant come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. Well, Phil is going to come and explain that passage to us and share that passage with us. And before he does, let's pray and again speak to our God. 
Father, we thank you so much for your word this morning. Your word that is a foundation to us. Your word that points us to who you are and what you have done. And we pray especially, Father, this morning that you would lift all of our hearts. You would encourage all of our hearts this morning as we spend time in your word, that we would be drawn so much closer to you as a result of it, that we would love you so much more as a result of this time in your words. May your words at the end of this be such a hope and a comfort to us in these times. And we pray for Phil. Father, may you strengthen and equip him now. May you provide him with everything that he needs to share your word with us this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name for his glory and honour. Amen. Well, the times we live in now are some of the toughest our country has seen since the Second World War. We feel a sense of weariness, and we're asking the same questions that a weary world was asking 75 years ago. When will this end? Even worse, the statistics that were just small statistics back in the first lockdown have become, in this current lockdown, real numbers, big numbers. And now this morning, what were once statistics and numbers is now a person, not just anyone, but someone we dearly loved. And it's times like these that we cry out to God in confusion and hurt for answers and comfort because the sting of death is painful. And that's why we're turning to to, to Isaiah 61 this morning. You see, Isaiah's people were suffering too. They were suffering in the same way that we are now. In Isaiah's time, people were dying because of ongoing war. The nation was far from God, and it seemed that God's hand of judgment was weighing heavily on them. And people were asking, where is God? How long will this suffering go on for? Where will we find comfort in these times? And so God called Isaiah to prophesy, to bring the word of the Lord to his suffering people, and most of Isaiah's prophecy was a calling for God's people to turn back to God. Most of his prophecy was pointing out the sins of the people and proclaiming God's offer of forgiveness if they would but repent from their wickedness. But here in Isaiah 61, Isaiah brings them comfort in confusion and pain. The comfort of a promised saviour, a servant from God who would come to save his people from their sins. And that's why we're looking at this chapter this morning. Because in the middle of our great sorrow, in the middle of our loss, in the middle of our questions, our God gives us his comfort and his words and invites us to draw near to him. And the first thing that God says is this, find comfort in your saviour. Find comfort in your saviour. Let me read the first few verses of this passage now. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. 
He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and to release from darkness the prisoners, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. It's an exceptional opening. Words of promise and power. Promise because the passage joyfully declares that the Messiah is to come and undo the work of sin in this world. And power because of what it would take for him to do that work. Who is this Messiah? Well, we find him in the New Testament, in Luke chapter 4. There we're told that a young Jewish carpenter went into his local synagogue and took the scroll of Isaiah and opened it to this passage and read it aloud for all to hear. And having given it back to the attendant, Luke tells us that this happened. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him And he began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. In other words, the fulfillment of this Isaiah prophecy is Jesus. And the good news is this, whatever the world looks like, however awful our experience of life is right now, and and however broken this world, Jesus has come to undo the work of sin in this world that causes this. This is what Isaiah's prophecy says Jesus has come to do. To bind the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, to bring release from the darkness for prisoners. It means that Jesus has come to break sin's spiritual grip on this world. Sin's worst work in this world is that the curse of sin is death. And even Jesus wept at the loss of his beloved friend, Lazarus. He wept at the brokenness that sin causes. And yet, the comfort of this passage is that Jesus has come, and he's come in power over sin in this broken world. That's why he can comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve because the only true comfort in death is found in Jesus. That's why he's come, to bring a crown of beauty to those who are covered in ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair, because what this world needs is a savior from the sting of death. His name is Jesus. And when you look through the accounts of Jesus' life in the Gospels, what you find is a reminder after reminder of this great comfort. Jesus has the power over the effects of sin of this world, uh, sin in this world. There are great chapters, Matthew chapters 8 and 9. What happens is Matthew's chapters 5, 6, and 7 are, are the Sermon on the Mount. He's on a mountain teaching. And the question is, can he put into practice what he's preaching? And he comes down the mountain, and you get chapters 8 and 9. And in those chapters, Jesus hits 
the effects of sin in this world right between the eyes. Time and time again, whether it's demon possession or, or, or healing from lameness or blindness or sickness, Jesus takes those people and he undoes the work of sin in their lives. He behaves exactly as we would expect God to behave if our good God came into this world. Now, I, I know some of you may be listening to this and reading this passage and saying, so what? So what? Jesus did all that stuff, and it's impressive, but so what? In this world today that is so broken, so messed up, so damaged by loss and anxiety and fear and disease, how can all that Isaiah promises here be relevant? Well, here's the thing. Isaiah's prophecy goes on to explain that the Messiah who will come to us will live our suffering and even suffer in our place. So it's true that Jesus started to fulfill this prophecy when he walked this world for three years, but the greater fulfillment of this chapter happened when Jesus died. So if you want to make sense of this passage, and understand the relevance for it today, you don't only look at Jesus' life, you look at his death. Because when Jesus died, he became sin, and God's wrath came upon him for the sins of the world, and as he died, he cried out, it is finished. In other words, he was saying his work of cleansing, restoring, forgiving, binding, and healing was done. And it was done because he took the punishment of the mess of sin and died in our place. And that's why this, this passage is such a comfort for us today. We may not understand the brokenness in this world. It may confuse us and, and it may grieve us, but God does understand it. God knows what it is to lose a loved one. God knows what real grief is like, what a broken body is like, what the pain of suffering and injustice is really like. God knows what suffering because of rejection, because of bullying, because of lying, because of jealousy, because of anger and spite and hatred. He knows what it's like because Jesus endured it when he died on the cross. And he endured that because he loves us and forgives us. He died so that we might know what love is, what joy is, what forgiveness is, what a real and living relationship with God is. You see, the greatest comfort of Jesus is that he's not just come to undo the brokenness of the world of 2,000 years ago. The greatest comfort for us today is that Jesus has come to undo sin's work in our lives and to bring us close to God. And it means that in the midst of our pain, our questions and our suffering and our grief, we can turn to God and stop and wait and listen. God's gift to us today, for us this morning, is Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, you will know his work in your heart and his comfort in the middle of grief because he loves us. And as you turn to him, you will understand what it is to have beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning. Why? Because God is not our enemy. 
He's our loving Father. And in his love and compassion, he draws near because of Jesus and weeps with us in our loss. The second thing that this passage tells us is to find comfort in Dave's present reality. Let me read verses 4 and 7. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion, and instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance, and so you will inherit a double portion in your land, and everlasting joy will be yours. Isaiah is not just prophesying here about forgiveness in this life, only for us to die into nothingness. No, this is an eternal promise that Jesus' kingdom will be fully realized one day in eternity. And that day is what Isaiah was pointing to. Isaiah promises that when the Messiah returns to this world, he will bring a kingdom that will be for eternity. And it redefines what heaven is like in our minds. For many of us, heaven is just a foggy kind of misty plane where we walk around like ethereal beings. Others think it's it's about a mystical, undefined experience. Most of us want to know whether or not we'll see lost, lost relatives. But Dave's present reality has none of those cliches and none of those worries. Dave's present reality is one where he is with Jesus. And soon, very soon, Jesus will return to this earth and Dave will be with Jesus. And when Jesus returns, Isaiah's promise is that there will be work for us to do for the glory of God. And how much did Dave love doing work? There will be a double portion of God's presence like we can never experience now. And an inheritance and an everlasting joy. You see, as Dave passed away last night, he was received into Jesus' kingdom. And the only thing Jesus had to say to Dave at that point was this. Well done, good and faithful servant. Because Dave loved and trusted in Jesus. And this is the thing about Christians when we die. When we die, we live. D.L. Moody, a 20th century evangelist, was quoted as saying this just before he died. Someday you will read in the papers that D.L. Moody of East Northfield is dead. Don't you believe a word of it. At that moment I shall be more alive than I am now. I I I shall have gone up higher, that is all. Out of this old clay tenement into a house that is immortal, a body that death cannot touch, that sin cannot taint, a body fashioned like unto his glorious body. And in the same way, Dave Hughes of Caterham is more alive than we are this morning. He is higher. He is immortal. He is, the, he is in the presence of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Dave is welcomed with open arms. Not because Jesus thought Dave was a good person. Not because Dave worked hard for his eternity. But rather because Jesus loves him and died for him. And that means Christians don't grieve like this world grieves. We know Jesus died and on the third day he rose again in power and glory. 
And we know that all who put their trust in him will rise in glory as well. So when Christians grieve, yes, we weep. Yes, we feel incredible loss, but we also feel the deep down presence of the living God in us. We feel the comfort of the loving arms of God surrounding us, assuring us of the future glory of all who believe in Jesus. And therefore, because of Jesus, there's a comfort that is unspeakable, a presence of God that is indescribable. There is a love of the Father that overflows to us, especially in our grief. Because God wants us to be reminded and assured that the world is not always going to be like this. If you're a Christian, you'll understand that, and I pray you do more and more and more. And if you don't understand this hope, Dave would have asked in his, in his warmest, lovely, loveliest, slightly tilted head way, why don't you? Why don't you? You know, lastly, this passage tells us we can find comfort in God's sovereignty. Let me read verse 10 and 11. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. As I said at the beginning, Isaiah's world was full of unspeakable suffering. And it wasn't as if he took pen to paper and wrote these lines when life was being good to him. No, rather in the midst of suffering. He knew that God is sovereign over everything and we can trust him in spite of what grief we bear today. That is why, why Isaiah ends this passage with praise. What he does is he beds down his confusion and hurt and pain in the knowledge that his sovereign God is overseeing all things and that all things have a purpose and plan. And that's why we can praise our God in the midst of these dark days, just like Isaiah did. Why? Because we have a present joy that God gives to all who trust in him. God has given us his son and saved his children. He's clothed us where once we were naked and afraid before God. He's made us priests where once we were ungodly rebels. He's not just brought us into his kingdom, but he's made us his treasured possession, his bride adorned with the treasure of his grace. There is the goodness of our God. So in a world where we cannot make sense of our pain and suffering, in a world where we might be asking God, why did Dave have to be taken home now? there will be no clear answer. There might be perhapses. Perhaps God had saved him from a longer, more agonizing, slower death. Perhaps God will ch challenge many in their unbelief through this shock reminder that we are mortal, 
and we will all have to stand in front of Jesus one day, just as Dave does now. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. But rather than perhaps, is what we do know is that God has a purpose behind everything, and that in his time, according to his wisdom, there is a purpose today, in, even in Dave's passing. And therefore, we can take comfort and praise God. Praise him for his purposes and his promises and his faithfulness and his love and his kindness, just like Isaiah does here at the end of this chapter. And do that even in our loss. Do you know, I, 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 I've, I would just like to challenge each of us to read this chapter again and, and to follow that, follow that story, follow that narrative. From, from time in, in, in dwelling our minds on the Savior who's come to time in dwelling on the eternity that he's secured to time in praising him for all that he is, all that he's given, and for all that is to come. Praising him for his sovereignty, that's where our thoughts must turn to. Do you know, this is the saddest of sad days. And I imagine the tragedy of it will play out over many days. But we know God is good, and this is God's plan. And in his love and kindness, this is the most lovely, love, loving thing that could happen to us and to Dave. Our God is not remote or distant. He draws near, he draws near to us and understands our grief. And he sent Jesus into this world. He holds us in his arms he knows our sorrows and our pain. And he invites us to turn to him in it all and trust. And trust in his underneath arms surrounding us. That's where praise ends in this chapter of Isaiah. This is a confusing world. These are desperately difficult times. But when we truly follow this narrative, this, this, this chapter of Isaiah, we will find our hearts being lifted in praise. And I pray that we would find that this morning, each and every one of us. And I imagine there are family and friends listening. Can I just say our hearts go out to you in your loss and grief but we pray that you would read this passage and know God's comfort and peace in these times. I'm going to pray now. And can I just say, if, if you would like someone from the church to give you a call, uh, to pray with you, to read the Bible with you, to talk through what I've said this morning, uh, please do that. Just, just send us, uh, drop us an email. Um, our, our email address is on our, our church website. Uh, we'd love to do that with you. But let me pray and commit our, our morning to the Lord. And then uh, Dan's going to finish our service. Father God, 
We praise you for sending us your saviour into this world. One who will deal with the effects of sin, the marks of sin that scars this world in so many ways, most of all in death. But we thank you, Lord God, because he died, we might live. And because he died, Dave is now in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ, seeing him face to face, worshipping Jesus and adoring him, the Saviour whom he served and loved for many, many years. Father God, help us to praise you, even in these days, and to take our confusion and hurt and loss and grief to you and and to weep and to weep and yet to praise you because you are God and this is the best thing for us this morning. We know that because you're good and because you love us. You love us to death yourself. Oh Lord God, we pray that you would surround us this morning with your comfort and your care, your great underneath arms that so protect us and keep us. Lord God, in the coming days and weeks and months, we pray for your, for your help. We pray once more, particularly for the family and friends who are so close to Dave. Lord God, may they too know your presence and your keeping. Amen.